I, I was told one time that a leader is like a drum major. You know, Dr. King talks about being a drum major for justice. But when you, when you step back, you think about a drum major's function in a band. He or she has to have someone following them in order to be an effective drum major. If you don't have anybody following you, then you're not much of a drum major. So I think that's the first thing you had to get people to listen to you, to buy into what it is that you're doing, and you you are able to, I think, most effectively do that when you set an example. Whether you, yeah. Oh, it's chicken. Okay, be there. <laughs> this Sunday, you know how it is. It's, hey, these kids frying them up. These kids don't have chicken day anymore, at in high school. They don't have chicken day. That is. They used to go outside. A travesty. Like they would have Chick Fil A hey, come through. Did you have chicken day in school? Yeah. You have Chick Fil A. Hey, they don't have chicken day anymore. I've never had We didn't play. Everybody was silent. There wasn't no talking at the table on chicken day. No, because I mean, we're talking about school lunches, right? So, yeah, he knew it. There's the square pizza. Fire. It's good. Hello. There's the. Got to hit it with the napkin a little bit. Yes. I mean, you know, get your cholesterol down. Soak that up in that napkin a little bit before you get it. Double ply, too. Those soybean patties. I ate them. We definitely ate them. I ate them. But this is what's there. Yes. So we had, like, the pasta bar. Did y'all have that? I didn't have the pasta. salad bar. See, we didn't have salad. We had the pasta. Thanks, man. And potato bar. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. You guys kind of, that was a step up. But then chicken day. Oh. Changed everything. People that used to leave, because we could leave back could leave then. In the 90s. People that used to leave stayed. You better. You what? Get to line, get the chicken. They and hang out. And, and none of that walking by, oh, let me get that. Oh, no, that's a fight. <laughs> yeah. You're those, asking yeah, for it. It was yeah. quiet until that happened. Yeah. I remember dudes used to just be so nasty. It's like, man, I ain't finna take your chicken. They would, hey, watch this. <laughs> Lick their whole plate. Whoa. <laughs> now, does is there ever a time where the faculty eats that lunch? Yeah. Is, I don't know. They do. If they do, they probably eat in their room or something. You know when you're in the service of this, uh, industry, you eat in between. So they get that little bit of time in between the shifts. So they gotta watch out. If I'm a mm-hmm. teacher, I eat on chicken day. 
That's my lunch. That's the. Oh, I thought you were talking about I'm cafeteria making, staff. You're talking about faculty. Yeah. 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 You know, it, it does happen. I'm eating all Some my do. lunch. I'm eating on chicken day every time. Yeah, right. Man. Right. Like popcorn chicken day. You know, there's certain people. There's certain go tos. Now, oh, we had donut Friday. Wow, this wasn't no popcorn chicken. This was the. I'm just talking about right now. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, that's what they I'm lying you an example. <laughs> to these kids. Now we didn't have chicken. Bone in chicken. Oh, y'all didn't have that. No, we have that. Oh. It, was, it, was chi- it was chicken tenders. Oh, we had the bone in. We got had the, the we had the, 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 the tenders or or the, the bone in joints. Was they Tyson? The tenders. No, I, no, the chick. I don't. They were good. Oh, uh, if they were Tyson, they were good. And didn't nobody talk. <laughs> and I just so happened to have the plug. Behind, so I'll be like double order of wings, double protein. Double order. The, you, you you had to pay an extra two three dollars to get that double, you know. But we I can't give out the plug. You, again, we never give up. Can't plug. do that. But did you eat breakfast there? I didn't eat breakfast there. They had the uh. Oh, well, in in high school I didn't, but in elementary. The cinnamon the toast, cinnamon, cinnamon to- toast with the chocolate milk. But see, so you have to open the chocolate milk up so it gets in there. Had to hurt your gums if you if you was late on the late bus Ooh. and you sat out there. That those edges got hard. <laughs> but you ate it all because, like you said, if you was dunking it, you was good. Yeah, you got to get it soft. See, I was I I was acting all up up class. And I, we didn't even have no money. We didn't have he wasn't money. Wasn't hungry. But I, I wasn't hungry enough. I, yeah, I probably wasn't hungry enough. But I was acting real bougie because if my edges was cracked or they break apart, like it with crumbs, all of them. I ain't want it. I'd look around to the one I want, and be like <laughs> that one and that one, please. The one with the most butter in the middle. You know, soft. You know, you should you shouldn't have been bougie at the breakfast. You should have been a little more graceful. And there's another place that you should be more graceful and have your breakfast too. We're talking about the Martin Luther King breakfast. We happen to have Mr. Allen Woodson with us here this evening. I'd like to welcome him to the podcast. Thank you. Hello, hello. <laughs> so yeah, like we were talking about the Martin Luther King breakfast. I know it's coming up, but could you give our listeners a little history behind it, kind of maybe even your involvement or your, your, your words on it? Well, first of all, the one that's going to be upcoming this year will be on January the 20th, 7.30 a.m. at the Wyndham City Center, 7th and uh, Adam Street. And uh, this will be the 45th annual uh, Memorial Breakfast in commemoration of Dr. King's uh, legacy. And uh, we're very happy to, to, to continue this tradition. And I can tell you this much that when it first started, we had three local clergy at the same building, which was then the old Forum 30, same structure, different name. And each one of those uh, gentlemen were given 10 minutes to speak. And that's how we started this whole program. And we've gone from that to, I think, our most illustrious person that we've had of all was Mrs. Rosa Parks. Wow. And she came, that was at the old Holiday Inn uh, that was out on Dirksen Parkway before they had the Crown Plaza. And um, it's just an extraordinary evening. We've also had Dr. King's son, Martin Luther King III, 
and just a, a, a goodly number of really top people around the country to uh, participate in this breakfast. So we're very pleased to have it uh, again this year. And this year we're going to have someone who's kind of semi-local, uh, Reverend Dr. Wesley McNeese, uh, who's really from East St. Louis, Illinois, but he's uh, been a physician here in, in Springfield in a number of capacities. And uh, most recently was the, um, or is the um, executive director or the SIU system executive director for diversity initiatives. And uh, Dr. McNeese who is an extraordinary speaker. He's also an author. And we're expecting to have a, a really good uh, presentation from him on the morning of the 20th. Awesome. Could you tell our <laughs> listeners, you know, why, you know, you started doing the Martin Luther King breakfast? Actually, we started doing it because we had no way of trying to commemorate him because when we first put it into place, it was not a national holiday. Right. And so what we wanted to do was to have it at 730 in the morning so that people could come there, join together in brotherhood, and then have enough time to leave the breakfast and go to work. And uh, it's interesting that you should mention that, too, because that's been a, a real topic of discussion over the years within the club, because after the holiday became a national uh, holiday. Uh, some members of the club were saying, well, there's no need now for us to start at 7.30 in the morning. And if you guys really want to see something close to Ali Frazier, you should come and hear those discussions because you have some people who say, no, we're going to stick with 7.30. Others say, no, we're going to move it to 8 to 8.30. <laughs> but it's really good to keep it where it is, and here's why. Because there are a number of people in the private sector whose uh, – Places of employment do not recognize Dr. King's birthday, and they're still in business. And so it gives those individuals an opportunity to come to the breakfast and still report to work later on in the morning. So what type of uh, things do you discuss during the, the, the breakfast? Well, a lot of that starts with the speaker. But even before we get to the speaker, the whole theme of the morning is brotherhood. Let's see what we can do together as a community to make things better here in Springfield, make things better in the county, and hope that that ripples forth. And then what we hope is that our keynote speaker will amplify that, that kind of thinking and um, uh, set off the course for the next year to uh, make things better here in Springfield. And so sometimes some speakers have been a lot better than others. Uh, sometimes speakers go on and on and on, so we have to say, Thank you. <laughs> and sometimes uh, they've been rather, rather brief. But for the most part, I mean, you think about the fact that we've had 44 of these now. It's really been an extraordinary uh, time. And uh, uh, clearly, the large majority of those speakers have really brought a message, which is to continue to honor Dr. King's dream and make this a better place for all of us. That's really the bottom line. Can you reinforce that, like, kind of <clears throat> what? Dr. King's message was because, you know, we have a generation that's coming up that only know the black and white videos and only knows that they don't have to go to school on that day. Did you kind of give them a sense of what Dr. King meant to the world? I think Dr. King, first of all, shows what it, what can happen if a person has conviction and has courage to stand up and to believe in what he or she thinks is appropriate and in the long-term best interest of the country. That's really what Dr. King was all about. When you really sit back and think that here was a man who 
had a wife and children, and yet he continued to get out there to fight for everybody else. He was a person who had a doctorate in theology, and he could have easily just slipped into the mainstream back in Boston and not, I guess, put himself out there like that. And so what it says to me is that he was a person of courage and conviction, and gee, I wish we had 10,000 more people like him. But um, I'm, I'm, you know, really, I, I'm really honored and think how lucky I am and those in my generation to have been here on Earth when Dr. King was doing his thing, so to speak, because it gave all of us an opportunity to, um, to understand that if you stand up, if you stand up, things are going to be better. And I think it was Reverend Al Sharpton who said that, that by Mrs. Parks sitting down, it forced everybody else to stand up, and that's important. And so if you bring that forward to today, irrespective of what your political beliefs might be or what your political philosophies might be, I think it comes down to having convictions, standing up and articulating those convictions, and staying with them. I, you don't want to waver. That was something that Dr. <laughs> King didn't do. He didn't waver, and he was such an extraordinary orator that he could say things in such a way that a lot of people would just be mesmerized by how it was that he was presenting it. I think he's one of those guys who was just once-in-a-lifetime person. I was asked uh, in a not-too-recent uh, past uh, to compare Dr. King to President Obama, saying, you know, which was a better orator? And I said, that's easy, Dr. King. I said, never use a teleprompter, not once, not once. Yeah, that's something to be said right there, delivering those long speeches as well. Those were long ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was the conviction that came from his heart. Yes, absolutely. So we're, we're pleased to, um, to carry on that memory and, and his thinkings are right here in Springfield once a year. And uh, if you've ever been to one of those breakfasts, you'll see it's always about 750 to 800 people there. And uh, it's a sellout. We don't even have to push it. People come to us wanting to get tickets to, to be a part of it. That's awesome. So generally, how long does one of those breakfasts last or run? <laughs> well, we try to we try to get out of there by nine fifteen and with nine thirty being the absolute get out of Dodge date. So that's two hours. And uh but you know that's pretty pretty much the case. We've only had maybe three or four speakers who just went on and on and on. So we, like I mentioned earlier, you have to kind of flag them down and say, okay, put the landing gear down. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, uh, we've been pretty timely. And I would add also that we've had a number of uh, high-profile politicians in the past who have made a part of that breakfast. Uh, Governor Edgar was on the dais. Uh, Senator uh, um, Durbin's have been there a couple of times. And so... Um, we're happy to have people like that because that also helps elevate the worth of the gathering. I wanted to ask, out of those 800 people, is it the majority um, from from Springfield or is it surrounding areas? Oh, the majority is from Springfield, but there are people here. I, I know people that come here every year from Jacksonville, from Decatur. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say the audience is probably about 65, 35 African-American Right. Uh, there are a number of uh, organizations and businesses within the community that sponsor it. So we're able to take some of those proceeds and put them towards some of the programs that the Frontiers have throughout the year. 
So it's not just a you know one time thing. See you next year. Can you explain to some of our listeners who the Frontiers are, if they don't know already? Well, we are a service club, an international service club, and each club has a certain goal, and, and ours happens to be education. And we're working with the young people. We have a number of programs here. One's called the Positive Youth Development Program. That's for middle school students, grades 6 through the 8. And then we have the Junior Frontiers. That's for the high school kids, grades 9 through 12. And each one of those we try to focus on citizenship, scholarship, and leadership, and community. And the emphasis there is on leadership because when we were talking about Dr. King a moment ago, at some point you want to groom these young people to become leaders so that we can pass the baton. And so it starts down there, and people like, well, Derek's here this evening and, and uh, Doug King and James Boykin, they are the three coordinators of work of these young people on a weekly basis. And that's really the core of what, what it is that we're trying to do. As an outgrowth of that, we have what we call a, a, a 2K program. It's named after a former educator here in town, a principal by the name of J.D. Washington. Mm-hmm. And so for the uh, high school students who have been in the program, starting back with the positive youth development all the way through, if they go off to school and meet certain criteria, then they can pick up $2,000 for that first year of schooling, and they can come back and then reapply and if they pass muster, they can get another two grand going forward. So it gives them a little kickoff. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that's been very, very important as well. And uh, the scholarships um, um, run like for the sixth grade to 2000, seventh grade for 1000 and then eighth grade for $750. All right. And you were talking about <clears throat> making good leaders. And, you know, we spoke about you know, Obama a little bit and, you know, Dr. King and grooming the, the youth. In your opinion, what, what makes a good leader? What are some qualities and characteristics that embodies a good leader? I, I was told one time that a leader is like a drum major. You know, Dr. King talks about being a drum major for justice. But when you, when you step back, you think about a drum major's function in a band he or she has to have someone following them in order to be an effective drum major. If you don't have anybody following you, then you're not much of a drum major. So I think that's the first thing. You have to get people to listen to you, to buy into what it is that you're doing, and you, you are able to, I think, most effectively do that when you set an example, when you stick to your principles and when you articulate those principles. I think that makes a leader. A leader also, I believe, is one who sees issues at the time and takes steps to address those issues. It does not take the easy way out. Uh, Vernon Jordan of the Urban League one time said, leaders are people that show up for the showdown. They don't run away. And I, I think that's really important. So that's one of the things that we're trying to tell young people that we talk to, that as they mature, that they have to get into a position where they lead by example that they see issues that they feel strongly about and that they uh, develop uh, uh, programs and principles around those, those, those thoughts to move forward. And then you try to influence people to join you. And that's where that drum major factor comes in. You're trying to get people to come along with you, and you have to set a certain example. And we believe that a part of that means that you have to prepare yourself. You, you can't go out there half-stepping and not knowing exactly what it is that you're doing you have to prepare yourself. You have to 
uh, sit down with people and get them to understand that that they too need to work with you. If you're going to be a leader, it seems to me you want people to work with you, not necessarily for you, but with you. And the only way that that can work is that you make sure that you're setting a good example 24-7. A guy told me one time, he says, uh, he said, Alan, he says, you got to remember that. Uh, you guys were talking about basketball a little earlier. He says, in the real world, he says, they play the zone, not necessarily man to man. He says, no matter where you go, somebody's got you. So he says, watch what you're doing 24-7. I think that's what leaders need to do. And even today, you can have great leaders, but if you're doing other things that detract from your message, then that takes away from your ability to lead. So we're trying to tell people, stay focused on what it is you're doing. That's imperative to be to to stay focused in, <clears throat> like you were saying, to be mindful on what you're doing because it can take away from the things you do on the the outside can take away from your your message or your drive. So it, that is very important, and especially with the social media, the social media platforms that's available to the younger generation that leaves a digital footprint that never goes away and is very easily accessible. So it's more important now than ever. That is absolutely correct. Yeah. <clears throat> have you ever, have you ever Googled your name before? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. They got anything you've done way back when is in there forever. It, it's crazy. I, uh, it's that footprint he's talking about. <clears throat> I look, I Googled my name. It had people that were not even my family, but they were connected to me in a certain way. Like, it was the weirdest thing. I was like, well, that's a friend of a friend. And they're showing images of this person with me. It's like six degrees. How do you know all of that? So, Like, <laughs> like he said, it doesn't go away. And it, 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 it comes from you re like reposting something. You either liking something and it's linked you that way. It's def there's definitely the connection. Keeping your name out there. Watch what you're doing. Keep stepping and keep making footprints. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mr. Wilson, I mean you're 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 definitely a, a successful man. Um what do you think some of the reasons why you're successful? What 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 were some things that you've done? Um so you can succeed in life? Well, I had uh, a good mentor, and we had some mentoring programs. I feel to mention that within the frontiers as well. I think that's important. I was just going to say, I, I hate to interrupt you, but how important is mentoring? Very important. Uh, in my life, my chief mentor growing up was my grandfather, and he was tough on me and um, pretty good in math right from the very beginning because he stressed that. And I can remember out in, uh, I grew up in Wharton, Kansas Street, and uh, we would have these big football games, the guys from Stuart and Brown versus the guys from Kansas and Clay. And you had to show up. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, you know, you're, you're finished. Yeah. <laughs> you move out, move out in the day tonight. You had to be there for those big games. <laughs> and my grandfather was not the least bit concerned about that. What he wanted me to do was to learn my multiplication tables. And I remember him saying to me one time, okay, let's go over the eights again. Eight times seven. And I said, 56. He said, nope. I said, 
It's 56, he said, you took too long to say 56. He wanted you to say eight times seven, 56. Then he knew you knew it. Mm. And that's what he was interested. Not football, not basketball, math, writing a sentence. And so I think that that means a lot right there. If you have people early on in your life who can chart the path for you because they know that since they're older than you, they've been down that road. And they can tell you where all the pitfalls are and where the curves are and what you need to do to avoid those to stay focused on moving forward. And that's what my grandfather did. And so what we try to do in the frontiers is to take these young people, and I've tried to do that because I've been a teacher and an educator in my, in my, in my life, is to focus on young people right now to get them to understand what is important and what is not important and to hone those skills so that when they get to be a young man and a young adult and they're in a position then when they're influencing others, that they'll know exactly how to get those young people to move forward because someone is showing them the way. Powerful. <laughs> Definitely powerful. Is it, I mean, how long have you been involved with the, with mentoring <clears throat> and how long have you been a frontiersman? Oh, my. You know, that's a good I don't know how long I've been a frontier. A long time. <laughs> 20 plus years, easy. 20 plus years, easy. Uh, my brother-in-law was the one who really got me involved in it. And he was in the club for over 50 years himself. And so I, I just remember that a lot of the stalwarts of the community, I think, uh, Derek, uh, about people like Dr. Lee and Mr. Leon Stewart. And I mean, the real pioneers in this community, especially in the black community. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that you looked up to. And so... To be able to sit at the table with people like that, that really meant something because you if you just sat there and listened, you were going to learn something. Mm -hmm. And so it's um, been a long time, 20, 25 years, easy. Yep. <laughs> you mentioned Mr. Uh, J.D. Washington growing up at St. John's uh, Church. Uh, uh, a lot of those names you mentioned, the frontiersmen, those were not necessarily mentors but examples in front of me men who were stewards in the church, um, in the <coughs> choir, when it was time to do anything, they were there. And uh, I, I just think that's a, a vital part of my coming up and also of the community building. I know you were a frontiers, uh, in the frontiers, weren't you? I was a junior frontier. Okay. Junior frontier. See, look how you turned out. <laughs> there you go. Prime example right here. <laughs> it is. We, we, we had, a, we had a, a pretty good class. We all have done pretty well. I'm, I'm proud of uh, the experience and the connection I was able to make with those guys and, uh, you know, having Derek as a a mentor and a leader, you know, help keep that together and help facilitate things beyond, you know, just the education that we we got in the group. You You, you need more than the education, especially the education that is presented to the public school, you know. Like. Definitely, because, I mean, what Derek was good at getting people to come in to talk to us and give us a, a real experience, and you know, not the, the TV show one with right. somebody that you don't know. We might not have knew the, the, the person coming to talk to us, but you could see he was just like you. And you can exchange your life with his, with his 
with the stories that they were telling you, telling you, you know, just like like uh, Mr. Woodson was just talking about, basically mentoring you, giving you giving you examples of situations you haven't encountered or you might have encountered and how to handle those, you know, that because they will come up. Now, I was going to mention one other thing. My, we, we talked about the, the influence of my grandfather. He, he mentioned to me that when you're going to school, you know, they always talk about teaching you the three R's, the reading and the writing and the arithmetic. But he said there are three other R's. He says there's responsibility, there's respect, and there's resiliency. And he talked about that. And he said, you know, you have to make sure that you respect yourself in order to respect others. You have to take responsibility for your actions. Don't blame it on anybody else. He said, more often than not, he says, when you're looking for the source of a personal problem, look no further than the mirror. He says, nine times out of ten, you'll solve your issues. It'll be right there looking at you. Mm -hmm. And then he talked about resiliency. He mentioned, he says, in life, it's not a matter if you're going to get knocked down, but when and how many times. He says, but what really counts is getting up, shaking off the dust and moving forward. And so those are things, too, you know, you, you can try to tell people. They aren't original because you're passing them on from one generation and you're telling those young people, tell your son, tell your son, you can tell your grandson. And that's how it works. That's how it works. Yep, you got to each one teach one. You got to pass there it you down. Go. <laughs> yep. Yeah, some of the things you guys are talking about, probably, you know, because I didn't grow up with mentors and stuff, but I could see where that definitely could alter one's path and put them in, you know, not to say that I went down a wrong direction, but could it have been different? Yes, for sure. So I think. I, I definitely would say it makes it, 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 it wouldn't, it doesn't make it easier, but it, it makes it makes things less unexpected, if that makes sense. Because again, all of this stuff is going to happen to you. Right. You've got to encounter it and get past it. But at least you knew it was coming. Takes the guesswork. If out. ten things were coming, at least you knew about six or seven of them. Right, and that and, that, and you could prepare. And that makes it that makes or breaks a situation. You know, just from the knowledge alone. Yes, and being, you know, having the accessibility to a mentor to actually have the conversation. Instead of getting the template answer, now you have the hands-on, direct source giving you guidance and advice. For sure. Is there anything, um, you know, with the, the turn of the new year, is there anything on your mind? that you wanted to talk about to the listeners? <laughs> well, I also spent eight years here in Springfield in the city council. And uh, that was quite a learning experience. And I learned a whole lot about the community as a, as a whole and parts of the community. And it was the current mayor's father, who was the mayor at that time, Ozzie Lanefelder. And he always mentioned about how the city, since he came from a large family himself, about how the city was really like a family of 10. He had 10 different children by each ward. Mm -hmm. And he said, each child in your own family is a little bit different. Each child has certain needs. It's the same thing in the community. And so that's one of the things that I learned uh, on the city council that we're all different, but yet we're all part of the same family. And what happens to one affects the others. And so... 
I'm, I guess what I would hope, what I pray for is that our nation uh, would do a better job going forward because we all, we need to be working together, not working apart. And the easy way to figure that out is to look at the name of our country. It's the United States of America, not the divided States of America, even though there's some people who seem bent upon wanting to divide. And uh, so that's one thing I learned on the city council, that if you work together, more often than not, you're going to have success. And that means give and take. You don't win them all. You don't lose them all. But you work together. And that's what I would say uh, going forward. I hope that our country does a better job working together. You know, if that happens, then it brings in everybody, the least of these. And uh, a lot of times um, there are disproportionate numbers within our communities that need more help than others. That's where our focus ought to be. At least that's my own personal philosophy. <laughs> if, if you had a magic wand, what would the first issue you would tackle to be able to repair? Um, and it doesn't have, it's not, it doesn't just have to be in the local community, just in general. Bringing people together. And I think that would start by getting people to respect you as your leader. You, um, we talked about that a little earlier in the show. You have to develop and hone your leadership skills, what we try to tell young people, and that means that you have to set an example. And I think that starts by being honest and respectful of your fellow man. And people, if you respect people, they more often than not are going to respect you back. And I think that's what we're lacking right now in our country. There seems to be a premium being paid for people who are being disrespectful who are being dispassionate, and I'm thinking that we need just the opposite. And if we do that, more people will come along. Every time we get into a jam, uh, people coalesce because out of, I guess, out of a sense of necessity, we need to work together. But when the threat subsides, then people go back to their corners again. So that's unfortunate. And I'm thinking, if you, know, you mentioned what, we, what would I would do I would hope that we never go back to our corners, that we stay together. There's strength in numbers. You want to tell the listeners again when they and where and what time the Martin Luther King breakfast is going to be taking place this year? Okay, it's going to take place on Monday, January the 20th at 7.30 a.m. at the Wyndham City Center, 7th and Adams Street. Uh, the tickets are $25 a piece. They can be obtained from any member of the Frontiers. I should underscore that there will be no tickets sold at the door. So you got to get your tickets in advance. And uh, we expect to sell out somewhere between 750 to 800 people. And Dr. Reverend Wesley McNeese is going to be our keynote speaker. And we anticipate in just a great, joyous morning. How much, is, how much are the tickets? $25. $25. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast, Mr. Woodson. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. We wish you all the success that 2020 was going to bring. This is Intentional Dangerfield.